0: Okay, so if you have your journals there or something to take notes, here is where we're going to be going this morning. Firstly, we're going to be looking quickly at at the context of this passage. Then we're going to be thinking about the the Pharisees' reaction to the kingdom. Then we'll turn to Jesus' response. And then finally, we'll think a little bit about our reality, what that all means for us. So after we get the context right, we'll look at the reaction, the reply, and the reality. Let's dive into our first section. This is the context here. So, if you remember from before, this section in Matthew's Gospel that we're going through is, is about people's reaction to the coming of the kingdom. So far, we've seen John's reaction and his confusion when the Messiah doesn't seem to be acting like he thought that he would. And then we had the, the cities where, where Jesus had performed all these miracles, they, they reject his authority. And last week, we started seeing the reaction of the Pharisees and, and how they saw Jesus as a threat. And interspersed with all of this is the reaction of the people. The people who were healed, the, the people who, who followed Jesus, who came out to see him, who heard his teaching. Amidst all the reactions, all the calls to repentance that are so prevalent here, there are people who are accepting the kingdom. But if you read this passage, that, that, that's sort of all in the background What's in the foreground, what we're looking at now, is is Jesus effectively calling out the Pharisees for their reaction. He's making an overt call on them to repent and then warning them of the consequences of not doing that. So this is where we find ourselves this morning. Think of this image before us. Jesus has come on the scene and and the people are starting to question who he is. They, They are starting to maybe accept that the kingdom has come. But the Pharisees are trying to convince them, no, no, they're wrong, that Jesus hasn't brought the kingdom, that they need to stay in another kingdom. So really what we have here is an event where there's, there's people standing in the middle, and on one side we have Jesus announcing the kingdom, and on the other we have the Pharisees shouting, don't listen to him. And what Matthew is portraying for us here is this clash of kingdoms, that's what's shown to us in the passage in verse 22 we get quite a a low-key account of a miracle and this miracle if you remember from the previous section is is about the kingdom being announced so the messiah comes he pushes back the effects of sin and death he's the the light that is shining in the darkness and then in verse 23 we see the people realizing that this is what is happening they're seeing the signs and asking the right questions. But then in verse 24, we see the drama really start. This is the opening attack of one of these kingdoms. This is the Pharisees' reaction. So let's let's dive in. Verse 24. But, usually when you're reading scripture, a pretty significant word. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said that it is only by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. And so instead of amazement, instead of Questioning or discerning or praying, they immediately denounce Jesus. You see, they've had their minds made up about Jesus before this even happened. They, they have been looking at him and judged that he is not from God. Or maybe more accurately, that he is not from their God. And so, whatever he does now, they are going to oppose essentially their position is because Jesus isn't acting as they know that God would act since he isn't conforming to their judgment on who God is and what he should be doing then he can't be from God and so they must oppose this kingdom that he is bringing there's only going to be one authority and so this message of Jesus that is ripping up their social control it has to be challenged that they're so committed to their kingdom that they can't give up that power. Now, maybe you'll seen the likes of Richard Dawkins and other famous atheists have said that, that no evidence would be enough for them to believe in God, that, that even if they saw some miracle, they just assumed that it was some trick or, or they, they, they'd gone mad. And we've probably all got friends or, or family members who, who think similar things, who are, who are so committed to another idea that whatever we say about God, they're ready to fight against it. And just like them, the Pharisees, they're so committed to their kingdom, so they make their plea to the crowds, that they act as ambassadors of another kingdom, a kingdom that doesn't recognize Jesus as king, a kingdom that asks whether the thing that the people see is really good, they speak into the hearts of the crowd, getting them to, to question whether this good thing from God is actually bad for them. You might hear it that they're echoing that their true kings lie from the garden, where Satan got Adam and Eve to question whether the good restrictions given by God were really good for them. And so the Pharisees put themselves on a collision course with God's kingdom and it's in the rest of the passage that we get Jesus' response to that clash but before we go any further we have to be clear who Jesus is is talking to here because what what I did when I was younger what what so many people do is, is to miss the context and so interpret what comes next as Jesus just bringing the hammer down on us Christians now caveat here. Please don't get me wrong. There is definitely a place for us to examine our hearts and be constantly wary of the danger of becoming a lukewarm Christian. What We need to be aware when apathy starts setting in. We need to be constantly learning and growing and pushing for a deeper relationship with the Lord. Our devotion and our fervor for the Lord needs to be a distinctive mark of our lives, and we need to be a church willing to, to call one, one another out when we see a brother or sister taking their faith for granted or putting something else as more important than it. That, that's all true. But what this passage is saying, that the real danger here that we're looking at, it's not for Christians. It's, it's not for the people of God standing in the crowd, witnessing this clash of kingdoms and cheering for King Jesus. It's not supposed to make the citizens of heaven doubt their status. It's directed here at those who are currently denying Christ. Verse 25, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, to the ones who had so hardened their hearts that nothing could convince themselves of the truth, to the ones who had seen God work and act and actively reject it, the ones who stood before the coming King, and reject his authority. And so it is to them that he warns that no forgiveness will be given. And so maybe you're here today or you're listening on and know that that you don't see Jesus as King, that you don't know Christ as Savior. And friend, if that is you, I don't want to appear harsh or insensitive, but what Jesus is saying here is for you. That no matter what this world has told you, there is no forgiveness outside of Christ's kingdom. And, and that is for you just as much as it was for me before Christ saved me. Just as it was as much as it was for all of us here. Every one of us sat here today knows that Christ called and calls him as king. Every one of us once stood in the place with the Pharisees stood in the group there denying Christ as king and cursing him to his face. We all stood against Christ, as it says in verse 30. We were the bad trees producing bad fruit in verse 33. We were the brood of vipers in verse 34. It was my voice that cried out amongst the scoffers on that final day. And even though this world tries to convince us that that we aren't that bad that, okay, we're maybe not, we're not for God, but, but we aren't bad people. We're not actively against God, per se. Jesus calls that out as a lie. The crowd standing in the middle of this clash of kingdoms, they can't stand there forever. They, they have to make a decision one way or the other. There is no neutrality when the king comes. And so if you're here and, and cannot say that Jesus is king, then you have to realize that you stand with the Pharisees, ambassadors to a different kingdom, speaking words that will lead to your condemnation on the day of judgment. That's what verses 36 and 37 mean. They are there so that you don't sleepwalk into hell. They are there to call you to consider to whom you will bow. Maybe today is a day when you hear Christ calling you into the kingdom, and I pray that it is. Please speak to someone around you afterwards or grab someone at the door on the way out. But but Christians, this verse isn't there just to call people to come to the kingdom. It's also there to remind us of the realities of salvation and damnation. Yes, so that we'd be concerned for others to hear this message and repent, but also so that we would remember just what it is that Jesus has done for us. So this is what Jesus says in verse 29. But but he says this, and imagine him, he's standing in front of those people who he has healed and restored and saved. He, He says this in the context of this clash of kingdoms where those people who had followed him were being accused of being touched by the devil. This is what he says in defense of his subjects. How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. And what he is saying here is that that Satan is that strong man. He is the one who had these people in chains who had captured them and, and, and held them in their sin, unable to find freedom on their own. And that Jesus has entered into Satan's kingdom, t- tied him up, rendered him powerless, and rescued those sinners from the pit of hell. This is the image that we get in the Psalms and Ephesians of, of the Savior leading a host of captives free. And brothers and sisters, this is what Christ has done for us. He has set us free from sin. Free from this kingdom of darkness. Free from the hopelessness of trying to escape. Free from the the sucking power of sin trapping us in our addictions and the pools of the flesh. Free from the cycle of abuse that just heaps more and more upon us as we try and walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Left to ourselves, we we simply can't make the right choice. Scripture talks about us as being dead in our sins. Having no capacity to, to pull ourselves out of that cage. And it's whilst we were still there without anything to offer, anything to give, anything to deserve rescue, when we were justly serving our sentence in the prison of our own making, that Jesus broke the doors down. It was his power, not our goodness, that brought light into that dungeon. It was was his grace and not anything about us that lifted our eyes and carried us out blinking into the sun. And yes, maybe we still feel the effects of our time in Satan's power. Maybe we still hear the commands of our old master and, and sort of follow out of habit. Maybe we still act like we are in slavery to sin, but our reality now is that we are free Now we have the ability to resist the lies of the world, the flesh, and the devil because Christ has overcome them. He has rescued us, and now we are citizens of heaven with all the rights and the privileges that come with it. Brothers and sisters, we should read this passage that has been used to get so many people to doubt their salvation and what God has done, and instead we should see our freedom, our justification in his eyes. That we stand behind our King having been given the words of life and are able to confess that He has forgiven us. That He is our King. This is our reality. And I, and I hope that, that understanding that turns your heart to, to worship. But I do want you to consider for a moment the, the implications for all of this. Because what we see in this clash of kingdoms is not just a a sort of a dividing up of groups, but it's an orientation of the heart that leads them to live very different lives. The crowd in that day, they have to make a decision on who to follow. And their choice, it's not neutral. It does affect their lives. And it's not just a a hobby for us either. It is our reality. So before we finish, I want to just contrast the different responses to the kingdom that we get here. So first, here we get the reaction of the Pharisees. And what we see, if you're reading through the passage, there is disbelief. They, they see the kingdom being proclaimed. They hear Jesus announce it. And they just don't believe it. They don't accept that they need to repent. Don't think that they're doing anything wrong. And in fact, they're telling others to follow them in their sin. They are ambassadors of another kingdom. Just like the the influencers of our day, trying to get people to, to buy into a lifestyle or a worldview or a way of acting. They try and tear down Jesus, make up flaws, attempt to stoke fear and hatred. And so their disbelief leads to unrepentant hearts, which over time harden all the more, which leads to what Jesus calls in verse 33, bad fruit. They live lives contrary to God's will and so produce more and more sin. And again, if you're here and don't think that Jesus is Lord, I'm not trying to single you out. I'm just trying to point out, this is the reality of the situation if what Jesus says is true, then even what we try and point to as our good deeds is all rotten in God's sight. The result? A rejection of the kingdom. And without accepting the kingdom, there is no forgiveness. And so the sin that will not be forgiven in verse 32, it's not something that, is, that someone is genuinely repentant about but God is saying, no, no, it's too late. They, they aren't denied forgiveness after asking. In reality, these people, they will never know forgiveness, as one writer puts it, because they will never meet the simple, invaluable, soft-hearted condition for it, repentance. Unbelief condemns us because it prevents us from accepting the one thing that we need, be saved. So if you have friends or family who, who don't know Christ, yes, be nice to them. Yes, make sure your actions don't create a block so they won't listen to you. But remember that the, the, the only thing, the only thing is that when they see how good Jesus is and come face to face with this call to repent and know that they can fall upon His grace, that is the only thing that will get them to accept the kingdom that's that's the Pharisee's reaction unbelief unrepentant hearts condemnation but what about those who do accept the kingdom well well, since the thrust is on responding to the Pharisees it's a little bit more, more subtle here but but actually it's seen in each of his responses to this clash of the kingdoms so in verse 32 we get the healing then we see that that Jesus has saved captives And so what we see is that the people do respond to the kingdom with belief here. Then in verse 31, we see that for for some, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven. And we know from the rest of Matthew and from Scripture as a whole that the belief leads to repentance and forgiveness. And then finally, in verse 37, we see that by our words and what that's meaning is once our hearts have been transformed and we live and speak out of the fact that Jesus is king, we can confess our sin and his goodness, then we are justified. And so, although it, it might seem a little bit technical there for some of us, the, the point is that the pattern of our lives if we are Christians is one of belief, repentance, and forgiveness. So we're faced with a situation in our lives. We believe what Scripture tells us. We we repent of our sin. We find forgiveness. And ultimately, we are moved to worship. And look, when we put it up like that, it seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? Here's the, the Pharisee's reaction, and there's God's people's reaction. So respond to Jesus the right way, would you? And when we put it down on paper, it seems very simple, But as the the saying goes, the game's not played on paper. And our hearts are so easily pulled to react as if we were still living in that old kingdom. We see it everywhere. We're we're driving somewhere and, and someone cuts us off and we get all riled up. But then the next day we're in a rush, so it's fine for us to pull out in front of that other person. and no big deal. We get into the arguments and it's always the other person, the other side that needs to relent. We make a mistake, and when it's pointed out, we jump into self-defense mode. And look, fair enough, I might be wrong about all of this. And, and if you can recall all those times in discipleship groups where, where people are confessing their sin and, and asking of forgiveness from one another, then I'll take it all back. But I have the sneaking suspicion that repentance is something that we think of as a difficult thing to do, as a negative thing. When really, if we're reading this passage, we should look at this verse and see that repentance is a gift. Repentance is a mark of belonging to the kingdom because we get to repent. We can repent because Jesus has saved us. It's those that don't repent, that can't repent, that should be worried here. But for us, we should be getting comfortable with a pattern of repentance in our lives. Here's something for visual people. Some stages of what that looks like for, from Thomas Watson. We have the sight of sin. Do we see what's going on in our own hearts? We need to get used to letting a light of Scripture shine and expose what's really going on in our lives. And sorrow of sin. We need, we need to conform our hearts to break for what breaks His. Confession. We need to own up to our own sin. Now, we might trip over that one a little, so here's a good guideline that that someone once told me. Personal sin between you and God requires personal repentance between you and God. Private sin between you and someone else requires private repentance between you and them. And public sin requires public repentance. And so, owning up to our our sin is going to look different depending on the sin. Next on our list comes shame. We need to understand that our rebellion, it's, it's not some little thing. It is, in fact, like spitting in the face of our Savior. Hatred. We need to genuinely hate our sin. Hate that we did it. Hate that we once loved it. And finally, turning. We need to make conscious decisions and plans to walk away from our sin. To strive, even if we inevitably fail, but strive to leave them behind us. And and as, as difficult and as uncomfortable and as squeamish as that might seem in the moment, you can see, can't you, that in this verse we get to do that. We are able to do that. This is a privilege that we have. That that through this pattern of living, our our hearts are turned more and more to Christ and more and more often to worship. That we become more and more aligned with him, more and more aligned with our purpose to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We can repent because Jesus has saved us, because he has defeated the powers holding us captive that will lead us to glory. You can do that with God. You can do that with maybe the people around you. Precisely because God has given you grace and called you to follow him. This, this repentance is a sign in our lives that Jesus is king. When I was new in my faith, I was terrified that there would be this one sin that would condemn me. But what now what I can see is that What we are the people of God are to take from this passage is not the one sin that's going to condemn us, but the one Savior that has rescued us, the one King who rules and who has come for us, the one priest who has forgiven all of our sins, the one prophet who has given us his word to direct our lives. We are to see the kingdom come in our lives and rejoice We are to remember what it means to be saved, to know that he is sovereign over us. So that even when things feel like they're going badly, maybe today you were struck by the announcement of some funerals. Maybe something in your life has happened and you're thinking, who is in control here? It feels like another king is ruling. Maybe at times in your life it feels like sin is creeping over us and we're, we're just at our wits' end. Even during those times when it feels like that, we can know that our God reigns, that He is faithful to us, and that we can rest in His good plan for us. Family, the kingdom has come. And we get to respond now in joy, putting the sin behind us and marching along with our Lord into his glorious light.